exactly me, Chi Chi. I'm so popular. And last week on the show, we began my demonic sacrament of fusing high and low art in order to re-philosophize the world with Shin Megami Tensei V and Marionetti's The Futurist Manifesto. We're back to continue that mission this week with three pieces of art concerning white women in Japan, uh, Lost in Translation, HBO Girls, and finally, The Ramen Girl. And I'm joined by a very special guest in person, live in my house. Who are you? Hi, I'm Meg. Hi, Meg. Hi. What are you doing? I'm sat on your floor in your apartment. That's exactly right. Um, yeah. Why are we friends, Meg? Oh my god. Um, I met you in a park. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. You came to Tokyo for a week weekend mm-hmm. to do a job interview. We mm-hmm. got introduced in a park through some friends. Then when you moved to Tokyo, you DM'd me. I did. And I invited you to drink in Shibuya. Yeah. And we've we, been friends. We were to TGIF. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. We went to TGIF. And I sat next to Miho and was, uh, I was very blown away by everyone. I was like, oh my god, she works at Twitter. Yeah. <gasps> Miho's wow. a big shot. Yeah. <laughs> when you first meet her as well. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. But um, that park visit in Tokyo was a very formative little moment for me. I yeah. feel like um, when I was just getting, like, my head wrapped around the fact that I was going to move here, and uh, it, that was, like, the first taste I had about what, like, a social life could be like in Tokyo. Sitting in that park and Yoyogi in the middle of the uh, high alert uh, state of emergency, getting harassed by cops on the tarp, mm-hmm. and uh, then going to Shibuya and standing outside of the family mart together. Yes. I think we bonded over Azealia Banks. We did. Yeah. Because <laughs> you said that your gay brother was, like, the biggest fan of Azealia Banks. And I said, well, you know, I used to have her phone number. <laughs> and I told you that I was scared of her. And I think if I ever spoke to her in real life, I think I would cry. Yeah, because she's a demon. She is. <laughs> she's nightmarish in every sense of the word. She's back on Twitter. I and know. We were talking last week about how everyone is, like, kind of, like, chained to the digital NUI of our souls. And, like, we all have, like, this uh, internet heart and i yeah. feel like her internet heart is just so black and barren it's like um yeah i don't think she could survive without it now certainly not no. i mean she transplanted all of her urges to manically tweet onto instagram and like used to uh-huh. post those like 200 long yeah stories or whatever she's cruel very <laughs> and so seeing her like just go back to twitter feels like this very tragic apocalyptic feedback loop of uh endless motion <laughs> you can't stop the machine <laughs> yeah no but she's... i was just so glad to have met you that night and i yeah. mean, my distinct memory is of uh me being attracted to a, a short muscular little japanese guy who came to hit on you yeah and you tried to set me up with him i did because i wanted to have sex with him yeah which is very nice of you <laughs> to do. <laughs> it's very selfish. <laughs> because I then had to deal with him calling me for like a week afterwards. <laughs> and then I, I thought about that drunkenly a few weeks later when I was back in Mie. I was like, oh my god, I hope she like replies to me again. Because that was kind of horrible <laughs> of me. <laughs> no, it was funny because I was kind of, I was like, I think it was, when was that? Like June? It was about a year ago. Yeah, yeah. so it must have been like May, June. I remember thinking he was okay. I was like, yeah, he's kind of... I get it. Uh-huh. And then you made him take his mask off. And he had a zit. <gasps> and it was huge. I didn't see it. I mean, like, I felt <laughs> bad for him. Because imagine, like, you're trying to talk to somebody. 
that you're attracted to and her friend is like, take your mask off, I want to see your face. And you have this like crater on, it was huge. And I was like, oh no. And I was just blinded by the boyish masculinity. Yeah. I couldn't see the zit if it was right in front of me. No, honestly, I, my heart went out to him the moment that mask came down. I was like, I can, he pointed to it. Uh-huh. He was like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, <gasps> he pointed to it. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Don't acknowledge it, please. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, we're talking about um, white women and the expat experience in Japan. Yeah. And um, you've had quite a storied long time here in this country. I think it's like four years now. Yeah. I always tell people it's two and then I sit down and I'm like, it's actually not. Yeah. It's like double. So tell me your story about how you got here and what it means to you to be here. My, it's weird. Before I came here, I had no interest in Japan whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch anime. I had nothing. Like, right. Like I didn't even, I, I don't think I knew anything about it. I just, all I had done is watch Tokyo Drift. And that was like <laughs> the only reference point I had for Japan. And then my dad moved here for work while I was still at uni. And then when I graduated, I was, like, living with my ex-boyfriend in his parents' house and working in, like, this really shitty cafe. And I was like, why am I here when I could be in Tokyo? So I just moved out and lived with them for a year and a half and, like, got a job. And, like, well, I was an intern. And Mm -hmm. then they gave me the job. And then I've worked there ever since. Wow. And now you just changed jobs. Yeah, literally on Friday was my last day. And I start tomorrow. (laughs) That's crazy. I know. New steps. New steps. Big steps. Yeah. But I mean, you had no interest in the country and then you ended up uh, kind of stranded here in the, in just the, I mean, we were talking about this a little bit, but like Tokyo is like such like a visually like unique city and Mm -hmm. it's such a bizarre and overwhelming place to be surrounded by. Mm -hmm. How did you like end up like getting so entranced by the city and like stuck here? That sounds a little pessimistic, but, no. you know, you know what I mean? But, like, I think, like, I like, like, I visited a lot before I moved to mm-hmm. live with my parents. Like, I'd been here, like, six times. And, like, it's very interesting, I think, when you first come to Japan, like, when I compare my, my ex- like, the atmosphere and, like, the way I, like, digested everything mm-hmm. then compared to now, it's just, like, worlds apart. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, so different. Mm-hmm. Like, when you first get, like, when I first got here, I was like, this is great everyone's polite it's clean I the food's a little weird but like I can get used to it like it was just fun and it was so different and new that I was kind of like I want to be here for as long as possible and experience as much of it as I can and mm-hmm. the longer you're here the harder the, it gets the to harder leave. it gets yeah. to leave you don't want to go and I actually did go I went home that's right I, during COVID right yeah like I moved home because my visa I had visa issues and I got stuck in the UK for like 10 months mm-hmm. and I remember landing in Heathrow and I was just looking around and I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. I was so mad. And I think the longer you're here, the more you kind of, you see the more negative side of Japan. Mm-hmm. But for some reason you can't leave it. Oh, the worse it gets, the more I want to be here. Yeah, like, like the masochism. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, it's like a torture, but in like the most fun way. Yeah. I think also because being an expat, like the, I don't speak Japanese. Mm-hmm. Like all my friends are English speaking and you, it's like such a close knit like community and i think when you form a friendship group Mm -hmm. it's like super like close like you hang out all the time Mm -hmm. and the idea of being taken away from that is kind of like sad yeah (laughs) like you don't want to go no i totally get it and you know talking about how different it feels when you first get here Mm -hmm. i had never been to asia before i moved to japan yeah i had been to europe which is just like 
America's grandfather. You know, yeah. it's it's like it's different, very perceivably, but not in such a visceral, like, alien way. Yeah. And I remember, like, my first few days in Tokyo, and especially when I went to Mie, you mm-hmm. know, the countryside, like, it was so shocking and foreign and unbelievable to me that I barely even registered that it was, like, happening at all. Yeah. And I have now, because of that, these, like, really deep, like, sensual memories of, like, the way my room smelled and, like, the yeah. way the heat moves in the air. Yes. Um, yeah. Like, I moved in the summer and, like, I think about, like, Pokari's sweat really, uh-huh. like, viscerally now. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, like, amazing that just uh, taking yourself out of your home country and putting yourself somewhere completely different, like, creates this whole other, like, sensory experience in your memory. Yeah. Do you remember the first day you got here? I do. Like, really clearly. Me too. Because um, we had a... Uh, we sat down in Tokyo. I didn't sleep on the flight at all because I was like, I wasn't nervous. I was just thrilled to bits. Yeah. I watched the Jennifer Lawrence movie Mother on the little plane screen. I saw the one with Javier. Yeah, with Bardem. Javier Bardem. Yeah, yeah. She's just like screaming and getting tortured <laughs> by people in her house. I was just, like watching it, like, wow, this is great <laughs> on, my little, <laughs> on my little plane seat. But I remember um, I went to Nichiren my first night here, actually. Mm-hmm. I went to the gay district and we went to Eagle, which you've been to as well now with me. Which uh, one? That's the one that's like kind of like a stand-up bar, but there's like seats in the back. Is it the one with the paintings mm-hmm. on the back? Yeah, with the yeah. big gay... The, yeah. The big, the big gay paintings. Yeah, yeah, the big gays. <laughs> <laughs> and when I first like walked in there and I like saw just like the sheer mass of gay people and like it was a pretty empty night. It was like raining in August or whatever, but it was so shocking. Mm. Uh, and when I like went back into my hotel... Uh, I was just like, oh my god, like this is this is real. Mm. It wasn't like unlike anything else. Mm. Do you remember your first day? Yeah, because I moved. Like I wasn't moving here for good. I was coming here mm-hmm. with my family, and there's something about like none of us were like again. I didn't know anything about Japan. Neither did my family, mm-hmm. and I think we were kind of moving for my dad's job, and I think he took it just to have this kind of big up because I think we needed it mm-hmm. like it was just like a nice change of pace for us yeah and like if you take like a lanky British family and you pick <laughs> them up with no idea about what Japan is like and like plop them in the middle of Akihabara in the middle of summer it like Tokyo it's just like so jarring yeah and I remember it smelt so distinctive mm-hmm. like the smell was distinctive the apartment like it was like a temporary accommodation now that i've been in japan for five years i think back to that apartment i'm like oh my god it was huge yeah <laughs> it was so nice when i arrived at we i think i cried i was literally like i cannot believe this is where they're gonna be like this is horrible like it was it, it was an apa apartment oh god which is yeah it was it was so dingy uh-huh and, and the like washing machine was like singing to me and like 7-eleven and, and they were like it was like above an izakaya and there were like salary men like on the floor at 5am screaming and I was just like this is so insane uh-huh. but it was like I think at the time it was really distressing mm-hmm. and it was like kind of like not good mm-hmm. and then I look back at it now and I'm like wow what an experience that's I such know. a cool thing to like do I felt panicked um, mm. on my third day here because I went out to eat with some of my foreign co-workers and we went and got sushi together and I did not care for them at all. I thought mm. they were just, like, the most boring, like, impossible to interact with people. Mm. And I was, like, frustrated, like, talking to them. And I was like, oh, my God. 
I barely speak Japanese. Like, I've only mm-hmm. studied the basics. Like, I am now stuck in a bunch of rice fields in this obliterating heat. Like, the mm-hmm. worst heat I've ever experienced in my life. Yeah. And all the people I have are these two people. Of course, I ended up, like, finding, you know, you yeah. find the people. But <laughs> it was, uh, it really was such a big panic for me in that moment. I like, went home and was, like, vibrating in my house. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> but it's difficult in the contemporary condition when we're so accommodated to by everything to really shock yourself mm-hmm. in the way that you can shock yourself by exposing yourself to a new culture like that yeah you know out of nowhere as well and mm-hmm. for a long it's not like a two-week holiday it's like oh fuck i'm gonna be here for forever right <laughs> <laughs> like the imminent like like now like it's it's not something that you have like plans to leave exactly you're just like oh shit here i am here i am do you still get panic flashes sometimes yes i do too yeah (laughs) i'm like am i gonna because there's this like i don't know if you feel like this but like some of the gaijin that have been here for like 20 years they're cracked they're so sad yeah i mean there's definitely like a lot of people who get weathered in by the country and they are completely like cracked impossible people when you like start interacting with them yeah yeah and i'm like do i i'm so conscious of not being that Mm -hmm. that i'm like I don't know how I'm, like, gonna stay here and not be like that. You're right. Like, I, I guess I just have to leave. Something, like, fries your brain after being in this country for long enough. Yeah. And some of the most, like, successful foreigners I know here are, like, completely, like, I wouldn't say, like, integrated, but, like, they, like, how, they speak fluent Japanese. Like, they live their life completely in Japanese, basically. Mm-hmm. And when they speak English, you can tell that, like, their brain has, like, been touched by Nihongo because... <laughs> The way they, like, interact with the world is, like, kind of, um, like, stained by their, like, Japanese brain as uh-huh. well. So they become, like, different people in a way. Uh-huh. And th- th- there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing bad about it. But it's definitely perceivable. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard to make that kind of decision about whether that's something you want to, like, commit to. I know. Because, like, ten years ago... Sorry, not ten years ago. Last year, um, <laughs> I was like, okay, what am I going to be like in ten years? When mm-hmm. I was, like, still with my last boyfriend and stuff. And mm-hmm. I was like... I'm going to be living in an apartment with my boyfriend in Nagoya, like, doing what, you know? Yeah. And it kind of all starts to creep in on you a little bit. Yeah. Do you think about what you're going to be doing in 10 years now? I do. What is it? What do you want? What do I want? Well, as I'm remaking the world currently, I'm going to be able to figure out a way to create reality in a way that works for me. Yeah. So, (laughs) (laughs) for me, that's going to be... only having to work on my creative projects. Mm-hmm. Um, alcohol doesn't give me a hangover. Yeah. All men let me give them blowjobs whenever I want. Great. Whoever. Yeah. And um, that's, you know, kind of what I'm working for right now. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> so, sounds achievable. I think so, right? Yeah. <laughs> but there is something... The reason I kind of wanted to talk about this early in the season, as I'm going through the trash of culture and, like, sifting through, like, these... Uh, artistic memories of the old world before I create the new one Mm. is that I feel like there is actually something very artistic and powerful about moving to Japan as a little white girl as as we have (laughs) and there's like a lot of fury around this concept and people Mm -hmm. constantly have the discourse about um, being a colonizer or you know white privilege or all of Mm -hmm. these things but what is really special to me about whatever privilege I have asked, like granted to me is that um, the experience of moving here, forcing myself to live a different kind of lifestyle and a different culture and uprooting basically everything I knew about myself before 
as I feel like you do create kind of a new reality by moving into a new country like this. You do. Yeah. You remake yourself Mm -hmm. in a way. Right. Because the self is reality, right? Like everything that you see is uh, merely reflected to you as your own opinions and thoughts Mm -hmm. and reactions. And so when you do thrust yourself into a new world in some way, you are creating like a new little circle of reality around you. Yeah, exactly. That's why it's easy to get like to stay. I know because (laughs) it it feels so private and intimate and like something that, you know, countless people have been through this. I mean, we're talking about three pieces of art that have all like done the same thing we have, but it's like, there is something so like singular about it that Uh it really is something that you can't imagine leaving behind because you've created this like country in your mind when you finally moved here and the idea of going back is just like erasing that world entirely yeah and it's it's kind of leaving behind part like the the person you've become in a way Mm -hmm. because you have to like let go of what you were here to reassimilate back into a country that you've like just not i just can't imagine doing it i'm i refuse to (laughs) (laughs) Like, going back to the UK, whether I stay in Japan or not, going mm-hmm. back to England is just not... Not on the table. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I found, like, there's so little avenues, there's so few avenues and methodologies to kind of break yourself down in the way that it, it does when you move somewhere here. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I've ever been through, except for, like, psychedelic drugs, basically, <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever been through an experience that is, like, so radically, like reoriented myself and like forced me to like start progressively like building a new world because when you're stranded here with nothing around you but the the resources you have in your own power you have to like really fight your way to make something good for yourself here and that's why I think so many people get crushed and like depressed and go home yeah I think it's you either last like a year Mm -hmm. or forever yeah (laughs) (laughs) like there's no in between Mm -hmm. and like Especially when you don't speak the language, mm-hmm. you kind of have to make. I, I, I would say like the first year and a half for me was extremely lonely, mm-hmm. and that in itself forces you to remodel the way you kind of live, mm-hmm. and you become very self. Not involved, but you become very like internal. Yeah, I think, and that's very useful for the kind of horrific digital nightmare that we live in where we're globally connected to everyone all the time. It's so easy to just, you know, be completely lost in the exterior. But it's funny because when you go and, you know, put yourself in a new exterior like this, it totally changes your interior in in such a way that, like, it's very foreign for people who are alive in our current moment. Yes. I feel, like, lost in my phone and the internet and, like, all the shit I read all the time and all of these, like thoughts and ideas about you know where society is heading and it's funny because once you put yourself in a new climate and you break yourself down and start rebuilding yourself you know that all disappears and you become focused on what's actually real which is you know your interiority yeah i wonder if i'm babbling like a maniac right now (laughs) no i'm actually very interested in what you're saying i think it just is like I I was, it took me in college. I think that college is kind of similar, at least for Americans in the way mm-hmm. it starts reshaping you a little bit. Mm-hmm. But nothing as severe as, 
moving to Japan. It is the single biggest thing that has happened. Yeah. To me. Me too. Like, and I can't, yeah, I can't, I think it's interesting, like, like you don't really feel yourself evolving until you've kind of done it. Mm-hmm. And, like, you're always, like, I feel like I still am, like, it's never something that changes and this country is always going to present something new to me. Right. Like, every f- five minutes I'm like, oh, I notice, like, a new thing that's happening because of being here. Yeah. It's... What was I saying? You were saying that, like, um, because even no matter how long you're here, like, things are always going to be, like, new and there's always going to be something you're unfamiliar with that's going to keep pushing your, like, development in some way. Yeah. I don't know what that was, how I was going to relate that back to the internet, but... (laughs) Well, I mean, it's like the internet is the constant, like, construction of the self, right? Like, you're always, like, writing your narrative and presenting your picture in a way to create Mm -hmm. your, like, story. Yeah. So when you are relocated somewhere foreign and are trying to remake yourself, you can't, like, prove any of it. You know, you can't, like, make it an image or, like, a a text or something. It's all, like, inside, like, the... inside your interior force. Yeah. And that's always been something important to me is, like, the cultivation of the self or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, like you said, like, moving to Japan is, like, the only thing that's ever happened to me. It's, like, the the biggest thing that I've ever done. Yeah. And it's hard to think how anything could top. Because realistically, where are you going to go from here? Because the West and the East Mm -hmm. are, like, so polar opposite. There's no real in-between where it can be, like, as different, I don't Mm -hmm. think, as, like, where we're from and here. Yeah. This is the furthest it can, you know, possibly get. get, I think. I mean, maybe, like, other parts of Asia, like, if you go to, like, Vietnam or something that's not, like, uh you know, quite as developed as Japan. Yeah. That is, you know, a whole different matter. Or, like, yeah. Africa, I'm sure, has... Oh, yeah, 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 But at the same time, it's, like, it doesn't even matter because, like, there... This country is, like, one of the few that is, like, developed and extremely accessible, very easy to, like, mm-hmm. live. It's very convenient to live here and yet is still such a reign of terror against itself, yeah. you know? <laughs> and I think I... I think I understand why people, like, get, like, prissy and, like, kind of, like, uppity about, like, oh, like, you think you're so special because, like, you move, like, you immigrated and, like, you're, you think that's so great because mm-hmm. you're, like, so white. Mm-hmm. Like, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, like, sorry. <laughs> it, just, it literally is special. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's because people kind of just imagine, as usual, just the exterior, the world of, you know identity and privileges and how you can mm-hmm. describe people by looking at them and knowing details about them but once that you have put yourself out of this country all of that is obliterated mm-hmm. because all there is is the interior mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i wasn't even thinking about it that way before we were talking about it but it makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense to me yeah so we can talk about i think the first movie on okay. our on our list today and it is um the second feature by sofia coppola um, called Lost in Translation from the year 2003? Is it three or two? I don't know. Let me look. I'm just going to Google it. 2003. Oh, three. <laughs> so Lost in Translation from 
Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Arpaz. So, what was kind of your first experience with this movie? I watched it before I moved to Japan. Like, like in like, preparation? Yeah. Not uh-huh. because I, like, saw it and then I was like, oh. And then it, like, came, Japan came after. Like, my parents were like, we're moving to Japan. And I was like, okay, what do I do? <laughs> so I just, like, watched Lost in Translation because that's what everybody says to do. Mm-hmm. It's like this, I think it's one of the biggest reference points for, like, well, reference point, but, like, one of the biggest ex- explorations of Japan mm-hmm. th- through cinema. I think so, too. And, I mean, at the time, this was at the end of the bubble era in Japan, which lasted until, like, the early 90s. Mm. And so there was a turning point in Japanese history where all of a sudden everything became um, a lot more tragic and destitute and kind of forlorn. Yeah. And uh, the entire population had modernized, like, really quickly mm-hmm. and was working um, in masses and there's a lot of development. And then it stopped around 1995 when mm-hmm. Sofia Coppola was, like, visiting Lost in Translation with her parents and mm-hmm. promoting her movie. So she was exposed to this uh, very sad kind of uh, drowned other world. Yeah. And uh, her imagination of... Tokyo through her kind of lens as a foreigner mm. is uh, really singularly like sad and bleak and uh, hard to place yourself in, but very beautiful. And mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense that this like tiny little movie made for four million dollars became like the biggest cultural touchstone yeah. for Japan, like in cinematic history. Yeah. 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 And you said you watched this with your brother, right? I think the first time I watched it was with Will. Uh huh. And the second. I've seen it so many times now. Me too. <laughs> every time I watch it, I like it more. Me too. Especially since living here. Yeah. And I don't know why. I know. because what I, it is about living here that makes it better. I almost thought when I was going into revisiting it that I was going to like it less than I did originally. Mm. And I'm a big fan of Sofia Coppola. I think that mm. she is both over and underrated. Yeah. I think she's a little bit too praised for things that she's just kind of, you know, decent at Mm -hmm. and I don't think she's like revolutionary at all no but I think when she is kind of um outside of the hype and just doing like these like uh intimate quiet art movies I think she's very evocative yeah yeah and so when this movie is both like very like I feel like it's really well loved but also Mm -hmm. recently there's been kind of like a like a bitter turn against it there's been a lot like it gets criticized a lot Mm -hmm. for things like, obvious things. The things that we were just talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Because people are upset that she is viewing Japan as the alien, as the other. Yeah. And when I was talking with it, talking about it with Rio last night, he said that he, like, kind of vaguely remembered that it was, like, kind of making a joke about Japanese people a little bit. Mm. And I think that's, that's true. But the reason is that because it's not trying to be a movie about Japan or about Japanese people. Yeah. It's a movie about these two people in Japan. It's a movie about two white tourists. Yep. Who are both seemingly going through something. And it's, like, their experience in this, like, very different mm-hmm. place. And I think that, I think it um, it's very easy to kind of criticize it for poking fun mm-hmm. at Japan, I think. But when you first come here, like realistically like you do see that comical side Mm. of japan yeah because i mean it's totally real i don't think that anything in this movie is disingenuous actually and especially going through it after being here for almost four years i thought everything rang really true Mm. like the only thing i thought was kind of a joke was him not being able to use like the 
the whatever the running machine oh that was so funny though it was really funny i laughed it so was like whatever so funny. <laughs> the way he screamed help uh-huh it was just it was like funny but not realistic because you could just press the big red button probably like yeah it's it's fine <laughs> But, I, I mean, that wasn't like, the it's, only it's thing. Cute. And it's, like, I don't need this to be, like, a realistic, like, evocative portrait of Japanese culture because that's just not merely what it's trying to say. No, it's not. It's, yeah. It's a... Yeah. It's it's through the eyes of, like, a little white lady. Yep. And Bill Murray. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, and just to summarize the plot, it basically is following a washed-up movie star doing um, a round of uh, press and commercial junkets for the Japanese media and the very sad, dejected young college graduate of uh, and ma- uh, married wife of a photographer. Mm-hmm. They're both stranded in the Park Hyatt Hotel, and um, there's virtually no plot. It's just them interacting um, in these very melancholic and lethargic scenes for uh, the course of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. We've both been to the Park Hyatt Hotel, to this bar that they... We didn't go to that bar. Oh. We, we, we ate the one there. below. We went to the one below. Yeah. Oh, no. I was, Which like, was priding good, myself though. on that. It was really good. Yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> and it was, to be honest, like, the food was... We had, like, a good good deal. It and like, it's cheap. It was, like, it was cheap. It was, it was four, like... 4,000 yen for the whole meal. And it was, like, nomi hoda. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it was, like... It was fun to see that place uh, that's kind yeah. of uh, sunken into my own memories in a very different way. Yeah. Because I was uh, really drunk. I was in drag. Oh, yeah. And I was bickering with Miho. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my that's my melancholic Park Hyatt story. <laughs> I mean, before before we we went, I went with Miho the first time I left Japan uh-huh. as like a goodbye, just uh-huh. me and her. Yeah. And then I was just downstairs drinking. We got hit on by disgusting men. Yeah. And then my parents arrived unannounced uh-huh. and were like, "We're drinking in the the bar that Bill Murray was drinking right. in. Like, come up with us." So we went up. <laughs> And drank there, and it's like 5,000 yen for like literally one One day. drink, yeah. One suntori. <laughs> yeah. And um, I just love the whole like texture of this movie. Mm. Like um, initially they had planned to film it on digital video, which I kind of wish that they had because there's something really sad yeah. and very isolating about video like that. Uh-huh. But the film is, is gorgeous as well. And uh, Sofia Coppola and her director of photography... Um, just have this great like wandering eye and it's very oppressive and sad to like see all of like the lights of like kabuki cho and stuff pass by in the taxi mm-hmm. 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 The, it's a visually affronting yeah like it's beautiful the i was way it's shocked shot, i had but... nightmares about this movie last night after finishing it yeah because there's something so haunting about the way she like nails the especially like the freeways the streets um, the way that she just, like, lets the camera over it for too long. Yeah. It feels like these huge, like, decadent towers that are, like, closing in on you. Yeah. Because it lasts longer than, like, normal B-roll should. Right. Like, it's, like, <laughs> going on for ages of just, like, one... That w- one street in Shibuya. Mm-hmm. Where you go down, like, 109. Yep. They pass there and you're going through, like, to the big crossing. Mm-hmm. Like, that bit. Mm-hmm. Where it's just, like, non-stop. Is kind of feels like you're in like stuck on a video game level right. where you're like trying to get out and you can't. 
There's Anything something about Tokyo thing. that feels like a video game, For sure. too. I mean, oh God, I keep, every time I say something, I just keep imagining people being like, oh my God, like, these white people, they should be But you know what? The, the generalizations and the stereotypes are fucking right. Like, no, it's, they are true. It's yeah. true. There's stereotypes for a reason. Yeah. And these empirical towers that just, like, close you off all the time, the constant nagging voices of Japanese women on every sound system, yeah. in Shibuya, on the trains, mm-hmm. in the convenience stores, like... It does create, like, this really, like, video game... Like, you're maneuvering around a game map. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so impressed that, like, despite never having lived here for so long, like, Sofia Coppola, like, really, like, felt that. Yeah. And she put it on screen she so perfectly. She did a really good job of that. Yeah. I also feel like when Scarlett Johansson... What the hell's her character's name? Charlotte? Um, I think her name is... Yeah, it's Charlotte. Charlotte. When yeah. she goes to Kyoto... Mm-hmm. First thing I noticed was that she got there without any luggage, and I was like, "Is she going for the day? Mm-hmm. Like that's a lot of travel. <laughs> that's a lot of travel. One day. That's very far away." <laughs> yeah. But I loved her, kind of walking around Kyoto. Me too. I thought that was really nice. There's that beautiful scene of her observing like the couple getting married. Yeah. And just like very slowly putting their hands into one another's. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's like, I don't know what it is, but I, ca- I catch myself getting those moments all the time mm-hmm. about the most menial shit. Like, the other day, I was, I just, like, was, you know, you crossed the river on my way to my house. Mm-hmm. I saw, like, a man, like, sitting down with his dog, um, like, this, like, young, like, 29-year-old guy in, like, a pair yeah. of shorts. And, like, the dog was just like, kind of pulling on the leash a little bit as he uh-huh. was, like, sitting and looking at the trees. Yeah. And I just, like, felt so moved. Yeah, I feel like there are little things like that when you're walking around Tokyo that kind of remind you that you're in Tokyo, mm-hmm. in a way. Like, today, when I was on my way here, like, it was... I was in Kapabashi, mm-hmm. and I was walking to the state, and I saw this, like, six-year-old girl with her dad and her younger sister. Uh-huh. She was in a kimono. Oh, yukata or so kimono cute. or something, And she was teaching her little sister how to shoot a water gun. Oh. And I saw it, and I was like, that's adorable. <laughs> and she's in a little kimono it's just so cute and mm-hmm. like it's I'm, I sound super white right now but like it's we keep just... doing that but you know what we gotta fucking lean in <laughs> because the truth is, is that we're white and that is so special for us <laughs> it's really special it's a, I don't give like... a fuck <laughs> <laughs> but like I see these little things and I'm like this is just so not, like I'm it's so nice and like I'm here mm-hmm. and it like reminds you in a way and I, I Sofia Coppola really got that it takes so much effort to program yourself to be affected by your surroundings. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like everyone is so trained, like, to kind of naturally have some pessimistic reaction to the world around them. But moving to Japan has given me so much more, like, words worthy and, like, appreciation for the most dull bullshit. No, I know. And I feel like everyone could use, like, being displaced out of their natural habitat and being you know shocked Mm -hmm. because when you go back home or even if you never do like it really does realign your worldview in a way that makes you more appreciative of the actual beauty that's around us yeah you definitely get taken off of autopilot Mm -hmm. and like you kind of feel like you're driving your life more and driving your like thoughts more yeah no i totally know what you mean because i mean i do robotic instances all the day when i when i go to commute uh-huh. head empty no thoughts no. just like walk get on the train yeah but then like even still i keep getting like disrupted by like little tiny things yeah all the time you can't do that like unless you're you know in tokyo yeah you can't 
if you're where you've grown up, mm-hmm. those little mundane things are the, just the mundane things. Yeah. But there's something about being somewhere that's even though we've we've been here a while, like right. four years nearly is that's a decent amount of time to mm-hmm. live somewhere. But I feel like if you haven't grown up with it mm-hmm. and you come here as an adult, I feel like you definitely have that kind of you have more of an ability to like recognize where you are. Right. Instead of just being like, oh, I'm at home. Because mm-hmm. like, like when I got here and I'm like, oh, it's raining and we're in an apartment in Tokyo. Yeah. Like it's like yay. little things where you're like, yay. <laughs> like, this is so cute. I love this. Well, because that when we are just, you know, quietly observing like this sad little rain in the, the skyline of Shinjuku, it's like mm. we're, what we're really feeling is like the little creation of our own little aesthetic universe that we cultivate here, you know? Yeah. And it feels so satisfying to do that in Tokyo which is you know this beautiful tragic city uh-huh. and having a having that be your worldview that you get to create is so amazing mm-hmm. and I think that um in in Lost in Translation Sofia Coppola the whole time is like constantly like seeing like that same like creation of the universe yeah like when that scene in Kyoto when Scarlett Johansson is just walking around looking at people mm-hmm. you can kind of see like the tethers of like, the world she's perceiving come together. Yeah. It's really beautiful. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I love the pool. I love the... I love the pool. I love the bar. I love the sadness of their little rooms. I loved that she put the cherry blossom, like, shitty paper cherry blossoms up to, like, make it feel more like (laughs) she had, like, a say in her environment there. Right. Like, she was, like, kind of, like... Again, like, putting more direction into, like, how she was perceiving her time there. Yeah, constructing the universe. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, like, the main plot pulse of this is that her and Bill Murray have a kind of a distant, forlorn romance with each other. Yeah. They're both very... They both are experiencing a lot of lack. They, mm-hmm. they both are having some major crisis that is keeping them from feeling that they're pursuing a, a beautiful life in some way. Yeah. And so that absence uh, kind of puts them together. Mm-hmm. What did you think about, like, their relationship? The first time I watched it, I was like, this is creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly because Bill Murray is creepy. Well, she was 17 when they filmed this, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he is definitely old <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in, the, in that movie. I think he, like, I liked did it kind of the age gap. I think was a nice thing mm-hmm. to include because it kind of showed that they like found comfort within each other regardless of the fact that they probably can't relate to each other that much mm-hmm. outside of the fact that they're both kind of stranded in Tokyo. Right. Against like that kind of will in a way. Yeah. I, I think, think I think that like you're exactly right. Like the only, it's special that their age is like so distant and like they're they're really completely different kinds of people because uh, the beautiful thing that puts them together is the absence in their lives. Like, mm-hmm. they both have that enormous hole. And seeing them, like, slowly kind of just, uh, like, reach across the gap towards each other is yeah. really touching. Yeah. It's It seems so hard for me that people would hate this movie or, like, want to, like, reflexively be like, ugh. ugh. It's, I think it's an easy thing to... It is easy. It's easy to hate it just based on, like, that kind of surface level this is racist or this is mm-hmm. you know poking fun at a way of like at a culture or whatever right and it's a very liberal liberal kind of people 
mm-hmm. that have that <laughs> opinion. <laughs> it's very that. And I don't get it. I don't get it at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> because it seems to me in order to ignore this extraordinarily, like, philosophical and very, like, accessible depiction of two lonely hearts and watching them struggle against the void. Like, to ignore all of that and to push against all of this extraordinarily melancholic imagery, you have to reject so much in order to reduce this movie to trite politics. Yeah. Ugh. Exactly. It's gross. How could you do that to her? (laughs) (laughs) How could you do that to Sophia? (laughs) No, I, I also found Anna Faris's character one of the most interesting parts yeah. of it because she just in I feel like Sofia Coppola is very good at like presenting like vapid characters mm-hmm. and I think Anna Faris kind of like like because you know we all know and I think we all we probably kind of are that dumbass foreigner in Japan yeah. that's like oh my god I love it here like it's great and doesn't like, it is great. Mm-hmm. And she's having a great time. Yeah. And she's just feeling herself. <laughs> she's, like, singing in the park high at a bar. Uh-huh. Like, she's just... She's having fun with it. Right. And I think that, that like, kind of... She's just approaching it from, like, a... I'm in Tokyo for a little piece of time, and I'm gonna go out and see all the fun things and do, like, be me and have, like, a touristy time. Yeah. I thought that was so cool. I think there's nothing wrong with that, because so many, so much of the time people come here and want to do, like, not the touristy thing or whatever. Yeah. I honestly think there's, like, nothing wrong with just, like, having a little tourist... Just go to the Monster Cafe. Just do it. Go You're to, allowed to. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I actually urge you to, because, like, if you don't, when you go home, what are you going to uh-huh. have? You're going to have some, like, bullshit... Like IKEA esque wooden cafe and fucking Sangenjaya, like great. like great, so authentic. Yeah, like okay, you went to like a ramen bar in in Sangenjaya, like just mm-hmm. go to Ichiran, just yeah. do it. Like it's funny, it's, it's fun. fun. The ramen's good. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and honestly, it's like people are like, Japan is not an amusement park. It's like you know, it's not an amusement park. You can't come here and just do all the touristy things because you're treating it like it's you know some you know magical playland. But, um, you know what? It is. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's great. The thing is, is that, like, obviously, like, we live very different lives from, like, tourists and stuff. Yeah. But there is absolutely something worthwhile about, you know, the country sells itself as an amusement park for foreigners. And, like, half the revenue comes from people Tourism. coming to the country. Yeah. So, of course, like, that exists for people who want to do that. And that's wonderful. And so Anna Ferris like, bopping around in the bar, just, you know, having a blast. It's both, like, really sad because you can see how deeply empty and alone she is. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. But also, girl, get it. Just like, feel work. your oats. Feel your oats. Feel your oats. Have a great time. She was she was slaying wigs, twirling boots. She was boots the Park Hyatt down. <laughs> like, she was, she was living. Yeah, she was. Um... I'm thinking of about a few of the other like really transcendental like magical images that come from this, and one of them is the karaoke booth. Yeah. Which of course, yeah. like every single fucking person who's ever lived here, like has like their their tragic karaoke booth, like heart rending, like beautiful melancholic dreamscape. It happens to everyone. Do you remember your first time? Doing yeah, karaoke? I do. It was also in Shinjuku. We mm-hmm. went before we went to Nichome, and I did um, Black Skinhead by Kanye West. Oh, great. Yeah. And it was in exactly a Lost in Translation karaoke booth in Shinjuku on, like, mm-hmm. ninth floor, tiny room, window overseeing the city. 
and then you like see those trashy karaoke videos that reduce human emotion to the most simple basic things and it wrecks your heart it, they're beautiful they're so beautiful karaoke music videos are one of the highlights of living here i agree it's just high art it's, it is high art <laughs> it is <laughs> i think i think um karaoke but I, this is one thing that's completely off topic but when i first moved here I did karaoke, best night of my life, like so much fun because mm-hmm. you're just screaming along to this like dumbass Katy Perry song. And yeah. You're just having a great time. Going with Japanese people is a very different experience. It's a lot more respectful. They enjoy it on a level of like they're they're practicing their skills. Well it's because, you know, for you know, for I think for foreigners doing Katy Perry the karaoke it's like we're having Fun. Yeah, but karaoke for a lot of Japanese people is I am getting rid of all of my pent-up emotions right yes. now And I have to do it like Rio goes and does karaoke by himself. It's very aggressive. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. It's that you have to go you have to go exercise your feelings It's I mean yeah But it is very different unless it's you're like very, with yeah. wasted like 24 year old Japanese people and then yeah Then you know we can do the Katy Perry song yeah. but... <laughs> but a lot of the time it's very like John there's a lot of John Lennon there's a lot of John Lennon, yeah. a lot of John Mayer. Oh, I love John Mayer, though. Mm-hmm. A lot of Queen. A lo- Queen. Queen, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what this country's fascination with Queen is. Me neither. But it's real. It's Bohemian huge. Rhapsody. It, it, it was huge when oh it came out. Oh, my God. Ugh. That's a, something that Lost in Translation also gets right, is, like, kind of, like, the wrong opinion about America. Like, it's a fake image of America that becomes yeah. more true because it's so wrong. Yeah. So, like, when they have him on that terrible talk show... And they're just like, <laughs> like, they're like, oh my god, he's from America. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, before we we close out the conversation, I wanted to think about three uh three particular images that really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. One of them is the opening shot with Scarlett Johansson's panties. Her butt. Yeah, I mean, amazing. It's gorgeous. Yeah. But that to me fits with like so much of what we're talking about with like this like coming to Japan to remove yourself out of the exterior world and, you know, finally cultivate something inside of yourself. (laughs) Because I feel like it's asking the viewer to, like, really look at her sweet 17-year-old ass. And she looks great. She does. And as you... You have to go through the rest of the movie and she um, falls from that, like, sexy uh, inhuman angel into, you know, a messy person at the end. And that's really beautiful to see that Tokyo does that to her. Yeah, I agree. And I think... One thing that I loved, mm-hmm. which wasn't so much a shot, but it was like dialogue, mm-hmm. is when her husband yeah. is like packing mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, I wish you wouldn't smoke or something. And just the way she goes like, oh, I, don't, I like it and I don't really smoke that much. Yeah. And he goes like, it's just so bad for you. And she goes, I'll stop one day. And yeah. I was like, that's I feel just the same so sweet. It's and so like, sweet. I think also that like um, idea of her just like kind of living in her little like moment of being uh-huh. like I like doing it right now and maybe I'll stop one day but I'm not thinking about it like too much uh-huh. it's like very her throughout the film not think like be- worrying about the future and having it in her head mm-hmm. but like d- generating this kind of like experience within Tokyo that she's enjoying that's exactly it you know yeah she's creating that world again yeah. it's so true the pink wig is another thing that does that for me. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. It has that, like, layer of artifice. And, of course, like, 
white girls love to put on a little wig. Oh, I have the I have of the pink wig. Of course you have. Yeah. Because white girls are like, oh, a little colorful wig, I have to put it on. Yeah. And it's like that, it's like artificial and like, like fake and like kind of melancholic and seeing her like spin around in the karaoke booth with that like clear indicator of like fakeness and just yeah. her embracing it yeah. is so sweet to me. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I agree. Curating and creating your artistic and aesthetic experience through a little wig. A yeah. Little fun little wig. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see he tries to do it with that fucking camo with, shirt. With the shirt. And she's like, oh. And he's like, okay. And turns it inside out. Yeah. But even that in itself is just like him being unsure and like mm-hmm. being old and his career is like, I don't know, flopping. Yeah. And he's like, oh. This yep. young girl's showing me attention. It's just <laughs> nice. It's like it's like I I'm happy for him. Me too. Getting that kind of experience from his his silly little business trip. And putting that silly little shirt on. Yeah. And being he's a silly like, little tourist at the karaoke bar. Yeah. That's great. Like he's having fun. Yeah. And his wife is faxing him oh. about burgundy things. Mm-hmm. And it's like those small little reminders of what he has to go back to. Yeah. Kind of make you root for him more. And, like, you want him to have a good time. Yeah. And then at the very end, when he goes back, that's the third image. Uh, the the, the, the hug. hug with the inaudible whisper. Yeah. Um, wh- what did you make about this last shot? What did it mean to you? I don't know. I, I've been... Because every time know. I see it, I felt something, like, a little different from it. Yeah. I think the first time I saw it, I was like, ah, oh, he wants to bone. <laughs> like, it's like, he's like... It, it's It's... It's... <laughs> I think the first time you see it, you see it as more as a more of like a rom com. Uh huh. I think the more you watch it, the more you see it as like a kind of. There are more layers to it than that. Yeah. The last time I watched, I watched it last night. I think I was more just kind of like I don't think he's saying something creepy, mm-hmm. and I don't see that kiss as a romantic mm. kiss. No, it's like a, a parting because, like we said, you know, we get to keep lingering in this universe we mm. created together, like. We're still here, mm-hmm. so the sort of artistic realm that we've fashioned out of our little memories of, you know, people with their dogs and the little kid in the kimono and yeah. the Bukhari sweat and all of it, we get to stay. But to me, that's like a tragic, like, parting because he knows that the the small universe he's created is going to be extinguished once yeah. he leaves. And I don't see a future for them at all. I don't think they ever meet again. No. I think, you know, it comes to a, 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 a deathful end right there. Yeah, I think that is it. And I think that kiss is a very sweet thing. First time I watched it, I was like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> what is he doing? He's kissing goodbye yeah. to the to everything they had made together for this yeah. brief time. Which is, I think, the more you watch it, the more you recognize that. So yeah. that, that I think that scene means more to you as time goes on. It's a god-awful small affair to the girl with the mousy
HBO Girls is a HBO series created by Lena Dunham, and in its fifth season aired in 2016, uh, Jesse Perez, uh, some guy, some girl, uh, someone, he, it's a man, uh, <laughs> he directed uh, two episodes featuring the character of Shoshana in Japan, um, one written by Jenny Connor and the other written by someone named Tammy Sager. In any case, um, as we go from like the perfect video game vision of Lost in Translation, <laughs> we're going to f- begin slowly abstracting ourselves into a vision of foreigners in Japan that is somehow infinitely less and more true. Um, <laughs> Girls is like a big in- like influence for both of us, I think. Yeah. Yeah. What's your relationship like with the show? Hated it when I first saw it uh-huh. in the best way, though. Yeah. Because I think it's such, it's like one of those shows where it's like everybody's so hard to like. <laughs> yeah. Like you just really don't like anyone. Maybe aside from like a few of the characters but like it's so annoying because you can see like they kind of bring out I don't know about anyone else but like when I see like Marnie for example like acting like a just an absolute demon Mm -hmm. I'm like god I do do that though Mm -hmm. like and I think it takes some time to like understand girls and and understand that like the kind of point is they're not supposed to be likable right I think it's really nicely written. And I think that a couple of the episodes, not necessarily the Japan ones, but like the (laughs) ones where um, Lena Dunham has kind of written like, they're like these like little short films, short films in one episode. Like the one where she goes to that man's house Mm -hmm. and faints in the sauna shower. (laughs) and has to go in and find her like, and like the one where she goes to that writer's house Mm because she did that like negative review of him yeah in the last season of the show yeah yeah like those little episodes that are all about one specific encounter mm-hmm. are amazing i think so too um i loved girls from the second it started airing mm. but it was mostly because i was very young i think it was like i think i was like 15 16 or something and i was very attracted to adam driver oh yeah 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 i had like a sexual awakening when i saw like the scene all the scenes of him fucking in the in the first season. Yeah. It was very intense for me. So I was glued to it because of the sexual content at first as a teenager, <laughs> to be quite frank. But um, I was along, I watched every episode as it aired week to week, and I have been an enormous fan of Lena Dunham ever since. Like mm-hmm. you said, I think she is a, a true portrait artist of the horrific woman. And yes. she has created women that are um, equally nightmarish as they are, starkly realist Mm -hmm. and identifying pieces of yourself in them as the series goes on is a very uh important rite of passage for young gay and young gay people and women yes (laughs) (laughs) and um i think now she's finally getting her renaissance because like you said it does take time to recognize that girls is at heart a satire and like very black-hearted critique of its characters Mm -hmm. um even though it has empathy for them and lets them develop like uh, it took, I think, the culture a long time to start figuring out what to do with this show. Yeah. And now that we're, you know, over 10 years removed from its debut, mm. I think that people have finally started to sw- switch back on for Lena Dunham, as she deserves. Yeah. Um, and all of my friends in the podcasting circuit have talked about girls ad nauseum. Uh, my friends on Thought Topics did a great episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a classic Perfume Nationalist episode about it, so... Although I always wanted to do a girls episode, we're going to hone in on 
two episodes in particular, which is from season five in t- 2016, an episode titled Japan and uh, Queen for Two Days, uh, both of which depict the character of Shoshana's uh, brief stint in Japan. Mm-hmm. So what did you think about these when they were airing, like when you first saw it? I actually first saw them just just before I moved here. Oh, really? I didn't watch them as they aired. Uh-huh. I, I, I saw the Japan ones just before I moved here permanently, but I had visited Japan like four or five times. Yeah. And ironically, when I came to Japan... For, I think I came for like three months on like a break from uni or something. Mm-hmm. And I bleached my hair. And I came back wearing like collots and had like <laughs> Hello Kitty. I think I actually had Hello Kitty earphones. I had this like, you know, those Anello backpacks. Yep. I had one of those. And I had like bleached my hair. So when I watched it, I was like, oh my God. It's me. It's me. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> and there's that great scene when she gets back when she's on the moving walkway. That's my and gets favorite scene. Into. And she just screams, why am I here? That was... Why am I here? It's literally perfect because, again, when I got stuck in the UK for fucking coronavirus, that was my exact attitude. Mm -hmm. Like, people... Like, the people in the UK, I was just like, what is this? (laughs) Where the fuck am I? I shouldn't be here. here? Why am I here? Yeah. And I was watching her in that moment. I think... uh, I cannot say her name. Zosia. Uh, Zosia Mimet. Zosia. Some, oh, God. <laughs> she she did a great job at, like, portraying that frustration uh-huh. upon, like, returning. She did. Her character arc is really fascinating because she was never... I mean, she was in the promotional material, one of the girls, right? Mm-hmm. But she's always the one that's, like, depicted the least. She yes. shows up um, the least frequent and sometimes is, like, not as fully fleshed as the other three characters mm-hmm. are. Mm. Um, but from we see her development pretty severely over the um, season. And when we finally get to her arc in Japan, she is definitely like her, this own little reign of terror and watching her in the country is very fascinating. Yeah. I think it's touches on that kind of, um, what we were talking about, how people kind of critique Mm -hmm. white people in Japan for behaving a certain way. Mm -hmm. She behaves that way. Yeah. Yeah. She absolutely does. And she gets her jush and she lives. She had a great time. She had a Again. great time that changed her life forever. She was walking up and down Takeshita Street. Uh-huh. She was a Harajuku girl. Yep. <laughs> Go off. Like, she had a great time. She didn't want to leave. She was living in some ridiculous apartment. Mm-hmm. There was like a gumball. It was <laughs> <Yeah>. amazing. <laughs> it's like living inside of a gumball. Yeah. yeah. It was it was really interesting. Well, what's interesting to me um, is like the basic setup is that she's offered a job in Japan for mm-hmm. some stupid company that does nothing. Yeah, and she um, moves here and is finally finding herself as it is. Um, she gets laid off from her job and chooses to stay before eventually going back on her decision and going back to New York. But the two episodes showing her time in Japan do emblemize like the white girl in Japan, mm-hmm. but it never critiques her for it and it never says that she has done something wrong instead it shows her in a full like ubermensch mode like she's like totally like a Nietzschean character she just like blasts through the country doing whatever she wants being ignorant and stupid and what does she get out of it she gets a really hot boyfriend Uh and she gets an extremely solid will to power where she like learns about herself and creates a new image of herself that's much stronger than she was before exactly yeah yeah and she and um 
I think like some of the snippets again like her dialogue when she's in Japan the things some of the things she says just like crack me up yeah (laughs) and it was just so funny like I think one of the funniest ones is when she goes like Abigail, A.D. AD McBrien, is that her name? Right, her boss. Her boss comes to visit, and they're in, like, a sento, and it's, like, the most ridiculous bathhouse I've ever seen. Like, it doesn't look like a normal sento. Uh-huh. It's, like, a, it literally looks like a, like, swimming pool amusement park. Yeah. <laughs> and they're sat in there, and A.D.'s character says something, and Shoshana just goes, like, you can't rush a cherry blossom. <laughs> <laughs> and A.D. McBrien goes... No, I get that. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And, <laughs> and Shos just goes, that's Japan. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard that and I was watching her say it in this stupid bathhouse. And I just with like her stupid cried. hair. With her stupid blonde hair yeah. <laughs> and her like really dark roots. And she's working in a fucking cat cafe or like it's just before she works in the cat cafe. Right. And I'm just like, it's just such a wholesome, <clears throat> like surface level problematic, but really she's just having a nice time well it's great that it's problematic to me yeah i love that it just wields every single stereotype about the country without ever apologizing for it ever yeah and there is a little bit of like winking because like the japanese people like constantly like are ridiculing shoshana like directly <laughs> to her face one of them is like you seem very rich and wealthy because you have a stuck-up attitude shoshana acknowledges <laughs> it though she's like that's because i'm american exactly we're all like that and the thing is is that whenever like the people are being like um okay it just lets her keep doing it and doesn't, like, punish her character for mm-hmm. it. It doesn't, like, say that, like, this is a bad thing that she's doing. They just, like, let her go, like, with this uh, laser sword made out of <laughs> stereotypes, like, slashing through the country. And it makes so much sense. And all of, like, the aesthetic details of her life are just so funny because she wears, like, the most ridiculous, like, Harajuku clothes. <laughs> like, her hair, um, the most like, visceral and realistic image of the whole time she's in Japan is when she walks into the office in the morning and goes, Ohio! Ohio gozaimasu! Ohio! And she says something like, your bag is so nice. She's like, in, but in Japanese, she's like, I saw it in, like, little, like, just little... Kawaii ne- yeah, like... We've talked about this before because we have friends who just love to pepper their English with us in yes. Japanese yeah, all yeah, the yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't speak Japanese. Uh-huh. And one of my biggest pet peeves is when people that don't speak Japanese, but know Japanese words. They start winking at you and they, saying... They drop them in. Ine. Oh, so so ne. <laughs> and you're like, I, I don't... Like, I'm not Japanese. I don't speak Japanese. Why are you saying this to me? Like, right. You don't even speak it. Shoshana would be the one. Oh, 100%. She'd be like, ah. Oh. Because it's very clear um, from the portrayal of Shoshana that she does not speak Japanese either. Absolutely not. They she ha- just goes, eh? Des? Des? <laughs> like, it's so funny. And... It also doesn't punish her for that either. Uh-uh. Because the truth is, is, you know, I think that there are multiple ways of living in this country. And, you know, immersing yourself in the language and really, like, getting into the culture is one way. But we've been talking today about how merely putting yourself here is an artistic experience in itself. Mm-hmm. And something that creates a, a new artistic and aesthetic world just by being here. And I think that Shoshana just completely like completely emblemizes that yeah, she's does. such an icon for it <laughs> it's so sweet to watch though and her I, little boyfriend is so uh, her little boyfriend i know i mean that's so real i know it's so real there's like always like 
I mean, it was me at one point in my life. There was, like, some, you know, lost girls, like, Nihongo saberimasen. And then she's, you know, with this, like, cute Japanese boy and his, like, you know, broken English and their relationship will never work, but it's still something you believe in. It makes no sense. No. And they're never, the communication is just completely off. Mm-hmm. There's no real, like, um... Substance. Substance to mm-hmm. what they're talking about or, or the connection that they have, but it's like, you know... They're excited about each other. Yeah. And it's sweet. Isn't that so touching? It is. Because their relationship is doomed. And it will never go anywhere. Because you know that Shoshana doesn't really see him entirely as human, necessarily. No, she sees him as, like, a, you know... Her... She's a part of the, He's a part of the aesthetic universe she's creating. It's an accessory. Yeah, he's, like, a little geological feature on yeah. this, like, world she's wandering around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't hate her for it. I don't. She came here. She came here and she said, I am going to blast through this country. <laughs> she did everything she possibly could. She was the ultimate tourist, like the ultimate foreigner. And she leaves Japan being a better person oh. and having a deeper, a deeper realm in, in her, in herself. Yeah. And it, it prepares her so much, like upon her return, the way she behaves, mm-hmm. especially in reference to her friends. Yep. And the other girls. Because once she was able to kind of go through hell and, like, burn herself with this, you know, tumultuous experience in the mm-hmm. country. That, I mean, it's nothing but frothy and fun, but nonetheless, yeah. like, like still, like, had to put her through hardship. She comes back and is able to cut out these three horrible cunts that she hangs out with. <laughs> Literal and just nightmare like, women. And in season six, she's not present at all. No. She's in maybe two episodes, and then you find out that the reason is because she hates all of these people and ha- is off to marry a very nice Asian man. But it's a be- it's that's a beautiful beautiful storyline for she, her yes. to do her thing, and then instead of bringing her back and like writing her in, mm-hmm. which I think is this is such an, an this is the, the natural impulse for a TV show. Yeah, like yeah. she's come back and and oh, they could have just given her this really annoying storyline of being like a kawaii girl in New York, and all she talks about is Japan, and uh-huh. she you know does the oh, that's Kashina. right? Like you know she she does the peppering of the language. She uh-huh. eats at sushi bars, you know. Mm-hmm. She's like it's actually really authentic, you know. <laughs> she could have been that girl, <laughs> but because she actually came here and fully embraced the country with open arms to stereotypes, cliches, and problematics, all everything, mm-hmm. she was able to manifest herself as this like successful girl boss who goes to women in business networking events and then gets married to a very <laughs> Very sexy Asian man and has new friends that are nice to her. I know. And instead of like providing like this like bullshit weird explanation or just like gently phasing mm-hmm. out, they come to her engagement party. She locks them in the bathroom and goes like, you guys are fucking suck. I don't want to be friends with I you. I don't want to be friends with you anymore. <laughs> and I just admire her so much for Me having too. the like goal to just like do her and she's so. still she's still blonde at the end of the series i know and it's a nice thing too because she goes from nightmare pigtails with the with the fucking roots just like eating her head <laughs> and then we get to her in the end and she has a wonderful bleach job yeah and her hair looks great yeah it does she has like perfect highlights yeah. everything like flows it's been balayage to shit like mm-hmm. it just looks so much better yeah and that's like her hair it's like it's like this like um her in Tokyo with these roots and these like fucking garish clips everywhere uh-huh. and like it's like her finding it. Yeah. She's like, oh, 
I'm stumbling. Right. And you can see it with her roots. And then she comes back and she's like leveled out. Yeah, because she was able to manifest herself in that world she created. Exactly. She was able to take what she, you know, forced of herself and make herself into a total woman at the end. Yeah. She graduated from girls. Yeah. She's a woman. Yeah. Women. And I'm, I'm really glad that Shoshana was the one mm-hmm. to go f- through that experience instead of sending like Marnie. Oh, no. Marnie does not deserve redemption. Marnie deserves nothing. And I say this because I don't reserve redemption either, and I think I might be the most like Marnie. Do you ever you feel think, that way? I think I'm Marnie. I, I get I get Hannah a lot. You know, I, I feel think you're like, a Hannah. But I also feel like Marnie. The only I one think, I don't feel like is Shoshana, to be quite honest. I don't feel like Shoshana. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wish I was more like Shoshana. Because I think that there's also a lot of, like, self-consciousness in the foreigner here about, you know, mm. conducting themselves, you know, properly in the culture. But there is something to be said about just being, you know for lack of a more sensitive word, being an atomic bomb in the country. (laughs) 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 Yeah. What do you think about the scenes of her in the fetish bar? I kind of loved it because I think it it, it kind of... It's so interesting because Japan has that side to it, Mm -hmm. that, like, kind of sexually, it's, like, odd Mm -hmm. here. Yeah. And it's, you know, people get fetishized. I am, as a blonde woman, I feel like I... You have, have eyes on you. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's, it, 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 I mean, I don't mind. I'd rather it be because I'm blonde than because I'm like underage. Right. You know? So it's like watching that kind of thing. I think it's so interesting because we know that it's like that. And we've seen it. Mm-hmm. We've been to bars like that. Mm-hmm. We know. I used to work in some of that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like we've seen the kind of depravity that... Is possible. Is possible uh-huh. in Japan. And I think even though they touched on that, it was still very sweet. It like, is sweet. It was just such a sweet interaction. Mm-hmm. Like, she was having fun. Mm-hmm. She put a little nurse's outfit she on. She great. Did the, she did the spanking. Uh-huh. Like, she had a great time with it. Yeah. And, like, it touches on that kind of strange side of Japan, but mm-hmm. they, they didn't kind of villainize it, mm-hmm. which I think was nice. I think that's exactly why I was so into that scene, too, because, like... What it is is not, like, damning Japanese people for being perverted. And it's not, like, being like, oh, my God, look at this tragic sex culture or, like, anything like that. It's showing her, once again, just blasting through it (laughs) and being, like, putting it on, doing the whip and loving it and Mm -hmm. just embracing all of it and running forth with it is just so wonderful to see. She looks so cute in that little outfit. She looks really cute in the outfit. Yeah. Because I feel like her, like, desire just to do as much as she possibly can in the country and just, no matter what social boundaries are around her, just maximalizing every moment that she has in her life in Japan, Mm. it is so wonderful to see her, like, embracing the weird fetish bar and go for it without it being, like, kind of this dark story beat. They didn't make it seedy. They didn't make it, like, um, uncomfortable. They just made it, like, funny. And yeah, fun. funny and, and like, fun and interesting. Yeah, like yeah. it was just like a nice thing for Shoshana to do. Because that's how I feel when when I went to, I used to do like this one gay party, not a gay party, it's a fetish party every three mm. months in Nagoya. Mm. So lots of like leather people and like strippers and mm-hmm. like women doing like fire eating and that kind of stuff and like yeah. tortured, you know, hang ups. And I think, like, BDSM culture is pretty tacky in general. Yeah. But then when you're like, oh, I'm Shoshana in Japan, and I'm wearing a little latex dress, and I'm stepping on this guy with my stilettos. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, it obliterates all, like, cliche and, like, all, like, nuisance about conducting yourself well, and it just is sublime. Yeah. No, I loved those scenes. 
Me too. And I loved when her boyfriend, like... Oh, yeah. Just, like, stuck up for her in that, like, weird little, like, moment where they were, like, forcing her or something and she, like, ran mm-hmm. out. It's so funny because they could have totally, like, really gone into that. But it's just, like, one guy being like, you fucking like that, you dirty bitch. And he's like, oh, quit it. And they go outside and kiss. It's just so romantic. <laughs> it is. And it's so sweet. And it's not, like, realistically what it could have been. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of terrifying. Yeah, I mean, something could have happened. But yeah. Lena Dunham said no. No. And something I want to touch on is that, that essay I sent you. Uh-huh. Because Lena Dunham, like Sofia Coppola, spent time in Japan on account of her parents. Yeah. Uh, her mom was a photographer, uh, photographer yeah. and, like, avant-garde artist. And mm-hmm. um, she went to uh, some of those photo galleries. And she wrote this bonkers essay. Yeah. And that essay um, that she published for this, like, little magazine where she just goes full-on, like, Shoshana mode. Yeah. She just is, again, nuking the culture. Yeah. Um, nothing but cliches, um, really petty and trite observations <laughs> about, like, convenience store food, all of the kind of, like, basics that you'd expect. Yeah. But I thought it was very sweet and kind of, like, transcendental to read because, once again, you see her just grabbing onto the stereotypes and milking them for yeah. all she can get. Also, like, when you read it, you're like, oh, I remember feeling like that mm-hmm. when you first come here. Yeah. Like, it's a very, it was a very relatable thing for somebody that's done the whole thing. Yeah. Moved to Japan. I mean, the first time you see something, like, really kinky and, like, fucked up at a fetish bar in Japan, I mean, you feel like you're the first person that's ever seen it. Yeah. And I reviewed this movie for a magazine a few months ago. I think it was called, uh, Life on Fire or something. I don't even remember the name. Mm. It's about this Japanese voguing artist and I could, the director was a foreigner, mm. and I could tell that he had the same Lena Dunham, Zach Langley Chichi, Shoshana, you know, experience of uh, being like, oh, wow, at a fetish bar, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was kind of not into the movie, but retrospectively, it's like, I feel like a, a solidarity and like empathy mm-hmm. with him because I know how strong it feels, mm-hmm. even though it's kind of stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, these episodes are too. They're so stupid. Yeah. They're really dumb. They're so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> they do the most cliche, like the the fish eating on the when they're like eating the the feet, the fish, you know. Uh, which I am I stupid to say I've never seen I've that. Never in seen Japan. that ever. Okay. It's like what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> That's more of an American thing, though. No? I know. Well, I I've... mean, I think maybe it's illegal in America or something. Is it? I always see people with their feet in bowls in the America. I don't like, know. I've it... never had a pedicure before. Me neither. No. These I, episodes are so stupid. So <laughs> I love it so much. I think my favorite is just her in that dumbass apartment. Like, I will never, uh, ever get over the fact that they genuinely gave her that. Like, that was. And they genuinely said, You don't have a visa, but you're gonna be the assistant manager at a cat cafe with limited Japanese. Stupid. So stupid. <laughs> and she can afford rent on that place? And that house? As a cat cafe worker? No. No, but no. I'd love to see it. I'm I'm totally fine with it.
And last on our bracket, as we dive all the way into nothing but completely incomprehensible bastardizations of culture that become even more transcendent because of it, is a 2008 um, feature directed by a nothing director named Robert <laughs> Allen Ackerman, um, starring, starring the late Brittany Murphy in her last year of, of work before she died. Mm. And it's a movie called The Ramen Girl. <laughs> Uh, this movie was one that Rio, my boyfriend, showed to me because he loves it and thinks it's cute and funny because it's such a bizarre imagination of Japan. But we watched it together tonight, and what's kind of your first impression? I thought it was actually horrible. Yeah. Like, it was the worst. <laughs> like, it was, it was so devoid of personality. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole way through, I was watching it, like, what is the point? Mm-hmm. Why are we, what, like, why was this made? <laughs> and like who was it made for? Well the thing is is I have a, a memory of this because I saw this as like a I think it was like a directed DVD movie basically. Uh... And I saw it when I was like twelve or thirteen in the grocery store DVD rental area. And so oh. I had the image of it but I never had seen it before Rio showed it to me and I was laughing the whole way through because <laughs> um it is a train wreck. And I love it. It was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I was so hooked the whole way through. Like, I couldn't look... Like, I couldn't quite... I think every moment it just gets worse and worse. Mm-hmm. That you can't turn... It's watching a train wreck. It is. You can't look away. And the fact that it's so abhorrently wrong and, like, <laughs> mistaken and misfiring and, like, kind of, like, empty makes it, to me, full of heart extremely heartfelt, very truthful, and somehow the most accurate of all three depictions. Literally. It's got country. so it's got so much like spunk. Spunk. It's it, a spunk spunky little movie. Yeah. Like it's just it's so um Brittany Murphy like as an actress is like painful to watch, I think. And Yeah. I love her, but... The thing about Brittany Murphy is that I don't think she was... like I think maybe, like, in Girl Interrupted and some of her early stuff, she was, like, a promising mm-hmm. actress. But as she kind of aged, she was just kind of, like, a sexy doll. Yes. You know? Ditsy. Huge eyes. Huge eyes. Just, just enormous eyes, big blonde hair on this, like, tiny little woman. hmm And we don't have, like, stars like that anymore. We don't have, like, any kind of, like, vapid, like, no light in the eyes, like fun, charming, sexy girls. No, we don't. Zendaya could never play this part. Never. Never. No. Zendaya could never be the ramen girl. Never. She (laughs) would butcher it. Because she, I mean, there's just so many rules that would keep people from making such a bastardization as this now. This movie would would never get made, ever. Mm -mm. No, no. Mm -mm. This script wouldn't even be conceived I'm surprised it was conceived then. I know. <laughs> 2008. Because I thought it was, like, from 2003 until oh, I checked. When we were watching it, I thought it was uh-huh. a, a, like, 2001 movie. Yeah. Like, the music they played, I mean, aside from the Chinese music <laughs> the whole way through. Yeah. Like, just Chinese, like, background music. But, like, when she's, like, dancing in her apartment in that scene... It's, it's like a, it's a, like um what's this it's in the beginning of um Legally Blonde like perfect day nothing and it's just her dancing around like I'm so blonde and skinny and I'm in Japan it's and it's literally that <laughs> and I was listening to it like what the fuck is this it was the whole film should not have been made in 2008 yeah like it just is beyond my 
I can't comprehend the, the fact that it was made so late makes it feel like even more of a celestial object like sent down to earth like oh, yeah it feels like god made this and like, <laughs> and, like sent it <laughs> the plot of this movie is that Brittany Murphy plays Abby um who follows her boyfriend to Tokyo who works some you know stupid tech job and he immediately dumps her and goes off to Osaka or whatever mm-hmm. And lost and dejected in Japan, she forces her way into a family-owned ramen shop where, in complete seriousness, it's very earnest and not that much of a comedy at the end of the day, Yeah, she uh, fights tooth and nail to um, learn how to be a ramen chef as she speaks no Japanese, Mm -hmm. um, probably communicates less than 5% with the people that she works with, um, and fumbles her way through train wreck after train wreck until just stumbling up to the top. That's the movie. There's no... <laughs> <laughs> I just... I think the thing that killed it for me was that they let her in. <laughs> <laughs> because she first gets there because she's, like, weeping. Like, she's, like, this, like, screaming white woman. Like, her, like, mascara's running. She's in a hoodie. And she sits down and she says, ramen? Ramen? Ramen. Ramen. (laughs) (laughs) And this, like, family, it's, like, these two parents, like, you know, give, give her food and welcome her in. And then she just never leaves. She comes back every day. She comes back. She's giggling when she's eating. She's having, like, a great time. Like, a manic, just creature she's eating the ramen and just cackling as yeah. she's like shoveling into her mouth <laughs> 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 like what the fuck and when i was watching with you today i like looked at rio and he was straight faced and i was like am i missing no something? it is the most ridiculous thing and i think the thing that makes it the worst thing about it for me is that the wind carried her there she's brought in by a typhoon that she says i want to learn how to cook ramen be my sensei sensei she's like running sensei. through the kitchen screaming sensei and everything is shaking like it's <laughs> natural disaster <laughs> it's the most dramatic piece of shit oh my god i know um as she fumbles her way through japan she meets a very limited number of people but um they're even more abstracted and bizarre representations she meets a hostess which is what i used to do Mm -hmm. i used to be a hostess um and they just decide she's a hooker yeah um she has a accent that is sometimes southern sometimes sometimes, english sometimes english sometimes transatlantic sometimes nothing at at all um there's a gay guy i think he's gay he's definitely gay the gay one yeah and then she gets a boyfriend yeah who um is funny enough not even ethnically japanese Korean. He's ethnically Korean. Yeah. So. <laughs> so she's, this is a movie about, you know, rushing full force and grasping Japanese culture by the testicles um, <laughs> with a leading man that is um, played by an ethnically Korean guy as Chinese music plays in the background <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> I was, um, I think the, the best thing about it for me is that that little book that she carries around. Her dictionary. Yeah, and I think he, he says things to her and for somehow she she manages to, like, pick up on the one word she really needs to know. Yeah. Like. Ashita. Yeah. I mean, she has to learn the word for tomorrow. And he's like, he says, like, a full sentence and she picks up on the, the word The one tomorrow. word that she needs to yeah. know. Because Everything is, it falls into her lap very. She's a magical girl. Yeah. She's, like, Sailor Moon or something. Like, yeah. she just, like. 
her existence just like warps reality around her. She makes everything happen. Everything, nothing bad happens to her once she like picks up. She like has to go through the hardship of her tough ramen boss. Um, yeah. Which is completely deserved because she just like forced her way in. She, he literally did not want her there. No. Like he said multiple times, get the fuck out. Get out of my house. Get out. Get and she out of just, my house. Because she can't speak Japanese. She doesn't know. And she just doesn't care. Yeah. She's like, let me in. Like she forces her way in to mm-hmm. clean that toilet. Oh, yeah, because she is told she has to start from the bottom and be a cleaner for this ramen shop. And she is completely incapable. Uh, She doesn't know how to do anything. Uh, She can't successfully wash dishes. She Uh, washed one and he goes, this isn't clean. And she's like, I just cleaned it. And she won't let him put it back in the sink. And there's a fucking massive piece of red stain on it. it. Like someone just like bled on it. (laughs) (laughs) And he forces her out and she like sits and starts banging on the door saying, let me in. Let me in. It's a com- it's a violation. She should like it's trespassing. And then she after like runs to the front door, is like slamming on the. This is amazing. It's un. I don't I don't know how she was allowed in. I don't oh. know how they didn't call the police on her. She's it's because she's a supernova. She just <laughs> she just annihilates everything in her path because she is so determined to get something out of Japan and to make her time here worth something that she will obliterate everything in her path like a Shin Godzilla purple laser bursting out of her back. Yeah. And that's why I love this movie. Yeah. It's because it abandons all nuance, all sense of reality, and says if you put yourself in another culture and just explode through it, you are going to get everything you want, whether you deserve it or not. <laughs> she did not deserve that. No. Um, she, she puts tomatoes in her ramen. And pepper. Tomato and pepper in her ramen. And the and Japanese like, people look like, pepper. you put a pepper in your yeah, ramen? like a bell pepper. And then she has the nerve to put it in front of the most important man in all of ramen culture and say, this is Megami ramen. This is goddess ramen. (laughs) (laughs) I love her. (laughs) I love her, too. I love her. I love her. And her big eyes. Just her big, big eyes. And her stupid red-bottom heels that she's tottering around in. I know. She's wearing red-bottom heels, like, as she's, like, stumbling around the ramen restaurant. Like, cleaning and serving people. Chain-smoking. It's so good. And she learns, like, at the beginning, she learns, like, words... Like one by one, which is very an accurate, yeah, yeah and an accurate kind of portrayal of people that are putting no effort into learning. Mm-hmm. You pick up things, and she's just like, "Doitashimashite." <laughs> <laughs> like the words that she knows by the end of the movie: sensei, sit, suate, yeah. arigato, arigato, doitashimashite. doitashimashite. We got four. <laughs> oh no, she knows goddess. Oh yeah, she knows Megami <laughs> and she knows ramen. <laughs> um th- this movie like becomes truly like it's like full nuclear bomb force like in that sequence when she goes to meet her ramen boss's mother who will explain to her what she's missing in her ramen. Mm-hmm. And mm. the the mother just speaks this old baba, like this old lady <laughs> in the middle of the countryside just like speaks to her in intelligible Japanese and she responds like in English, and they have a full conversation with no context or explanation at all. And it's so beautiful to it's see. Lovely. This golden light bathing them as she learns the secret of ramen. It's love. So <laughs> <laughs> when she goes... She, she slams her, her, her hand against her chest, her chest, and she goes, Spirit! 
most absurd thing I've ever seen, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just beautiful that somebody was... Someone could just create this total blasphemous piece of art, and it's so wrong and so (laughs) malfunctioning, and it just is so sweet to me by the end. It's adorable. It's so adorable. I think it's so nice that movies could be so, like, bimbo, like, good-hearted dumb. Like, (laughs) there's, like, no race element at all, despite the fact they regularly call her a white bitch and stuff. Like, (laughs) there's, like, no racial question. There's, like, no, um notion that she's like forcing herself on on these people they just let her do everything they fully welcome her yeah they welcome her into the home into the shop yeah she ends up being passed down yeah essentially like he's like you are my successor yeah and then she gets like lifted up and put on a on a on a shrine yeah on a portable shrine and carried down the street by all of the Japanese people who have eaten at the restaurant and that she's terrorized by running around the street in a bath towel, yeah. screaming, uh, having parties very late at night, and they all prop this white woman up like a god and yeah. are, like, carrying her around. And the guy that owns the ramen store gives her his lantern, and she's just, like, waving it about in the air like a fucking <laughs> windsock. Like, she's... It's just absurd, but it's moving. It is like, moving. I was, like, close... Not to tears, but, like, I was pretty upset, like, looking at the little... Look at his face his as he's, face. like, waving goodbye, like, yeah. vanishing into the crowd. Because they learned something from each other. They did. I don't know what, I don't know what, what it was. I don't know. <laughs> they couldn't speak to each other, but it was... There was something there yeah. that, that they benefited from it. Well, this is the most literal imagination of moving to Japan and creating a new universe by, just by being there. Mm-hmm. Because she truly creates, like, a, like, Twin Peaks, like, second dimension of a world that has nothing but, like, completely broken culture. It's made up of nothing but stereotypes and nuance, like, nuance abandonment. She has, by moving to Japan, created a whole new reality in which she is god. She is Megami Ramen. Like, she She is the (laughs) goddess. And everything around her is changing and warping towards her will. Yeah. It's crazy. It's insane. It's, it's, but it's so entertaining. <laughs> it is. Um, looking back at all of these, as we've seen three different Caucasian lovely ladies all uh-huh. kind of um, think about reforming reality by moving to Japan. Um, and as I think about the way I'm going to be re-philosophizing the world and my, my own mm-hmm. vision, mm-hmm. what can we take from these three relics of culture? What, what, what do you think we should learn for my new world? And it's not that deep. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you move somewhere, just fucking enjoy it. You don't need to be so concerned with, like, um, doing it right. Mm-hmm. And, like, you're gonna make dumb, probably culturally dumb mistakes. Yeah. But, like, it's kind of a learning experience in itself. Yeah. Like, fucking it up. Yeah. I think that everyone should brazenly embrace the unknown. Yeah. Um, I think that everyone should constantly have something in their life that is a little bit of an alien other threat to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, I really deeply empathize with, like, uh, imaginations of Japan from Japanese people. Like, you know I love Mishima so yeah, much, yeah, yeah. and I, I really deeply care about this country's art. But at the same time, I also care about these wild and crazy fucking Americans <laughs> who think that they have... Uh, the iron will over the imagination of the country and brazenly make it in whatever shape they see fit. Mm -hmm. So I think, for me, 
um, abandonment of all nuance, the complete destruction of the idea of stereotypes and full embracement of it, and rushing full force at the world, um, no matter what alien elements surround you, in order to create something beautiful for yourself. Exactly. Exactly.